Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by, and welcome to Uber's Q4 2020 Earnings Conference Call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. If you require any further assistance, please press star 0. I would now like to hand the conference over to your speaker today, Balaji Krishnamurti, Investor Relations. Thank you. Please go ahead, sir. Thank you, David. Thank you for joining us today, and welcome to Uber Technologies' fourth quarter and full year 2020 earnings presentation. On the call today, we have Uber CEO Dara Khosrow Shahi and CFO Nelson Che. This is Balaji Krishnamurti from the Investor Relations team. During today's call, we will present both GAAP and non-GAAP financial measures. Additional disclosures regarding these non-GAAP measures, including a reconciliation of GAAP to non-GAAP measures, are included in the press release, supplemental slides, and our filings with the SEC, each of which is posted to investor.uber.com. I will remind you that these numbers are unaudited and may be subject to change. Certain statements in this presentation and on this call are forward-looking statements. Such statements can be identified by terms such as believe, expect, intend, and may. You should not place undue reliance on forward-looking statements. Actual results may differ materially from these forward-looking statements, and we do not undertake any obligation to update any forward-looking statements we make today except as required by law. For more information about factors that may cause actual results to differ materially from forward-looking statements, please refer to the press release we issued today, as well as the risks and uncertainties described in our most recent quarterly report on Form 10Q for the quarter ended September 30, 2020, and in other filings made with the SEC when available. Following prepared remarks today, we will open the call to questions. For the remainder of this discussion, all growth rates reflect year-over-year growth and are on a constant currency basis, unless otherwise noted. With that, let me hand it over to Dara. Thank you, Balaji, and thanks for everyone joining us today. Since our last earnings call, the world has made considerable progress in the fight against COVID. While there's still a lot of work to do, we're cautiously optimistic that this progress will continue and, in fact, accelerate over the next quarter. However long the recovery takes, Uber's business remains well-positioned. Despite renewed lockdowns in Q4, we ended the year with total company gross bookings nearly flat year-on-year year in December, with gross bookings turning positive in January. Discipline execution and increased scale in our delivery business allowed us to improve adjusted EBITDA by $161 million year-on-year year in Q4. This quarter marks, marks the completion of a series of portfolio actions that began in Q2, with the goal of focusing the company on its two massive core opportunities of mobility and delivery. We executed 17 transactions in 2020, including acquisitions that increased our run rate, our, our run rate gross bookings by over $6 billion, and divestitures of non-core operations that, combined with other cost optimization actions, reduced our annualized EBITDA losses by over $1 billion. These transactions, coupled with discipline, operational execution, and continued product innovation, have put us in a stronger and more focused foundation heading into 2021. As such, we have increased confidence in our ability to reach break-even this year while continuing to invest in long-term initiatives close to our core. Looking ahead, our strategic priority in 2021 is to continue to harness the power 
that our platform, with its multiple and growing product offerings, can uniquely provide. Wherever you need to go, whatever you need to get, Uber can help. We believe your highly engaged consumer base on delivery will drive stronger mobility growth as cities reopen. On the flip side, we expect mobility to become an increasingly powerful acquisition channel for our delivery business. For instance, our redesigned Uber Super app already generated more than 10% of first-time eaters in Q4. We plan to accelerate cross-platform usage through renewed focus on our Uber Pass and EatPass membership programs. We believe these will only become more valuable as we add new benefits and verticals like pharmacy and alcohol. Memberships ramped up significantly in Q4 with over 5 million members across 16 countries, and we have aggressive global expansion plans in 2021. Now I'll dive into each of the core segments. First, mobility, which continues to be affected by lockdowns around the world. Mobility GBs improved modestly in the fourth quarter, up 15% from Q3 levels, but still down 47% year-on-year. In January, growth bookings were down 47% year-on-year, declining 10% month-on-month post-elevated holiday activity in December. We're seeing extremely encouraging trends in APAC and Latin America, with growth bookings in those two regions down only 25 to 30% in January. Two of our largest markets, Brazil and Australia, were down only 10 to 20% in January, while Taiwan grew 16% year-on-year. The recovery in, in these markets demonstrates consumers' pent-up desire to start moving again, while Uber is continuing to gain share versus other modes of transportation. Over the next six months, we'll begin to prepare our business to go from preservation mode to reignition. This means investing in new mobility products such as Uber Reserve, rentals, transit, taxis, and motorbikes, and rolling out new segmented offerings like Uber Comfort. We will focus on re-engaging riders for their second first trips and re-engaging drivers to meet ramping demand. If we do these things right and the public health situation improves as expected, we're bullish that we can deliver strong growth and expanding margins in the second half of the year. Now turning to delivery, where we continue to execute well against the massive expansion in the category. We narrowed our focus to markets that we consider attractive and where we can win, and we're now number one or number two in nearly the entirety of our delivery footprint. At the same time, we're scaling our next strategic leg of 10-plus year growth, expanding our offerings into adjacencies beyond food delivery and into broader, instant, on-demand local commerce. Q4 gross bookings grew 128% and reached a $44 billion run rate in December. Revenue more than tripled, and adjusted EBITDA margin as a percentage of revenue improved 100 points year-on-year. We've seen our business accelerate in January to over 150% year-on-year growth as delivery continues to provide a natural hedge in lockdown. It's become clear that the pandemic has increased consumers' appetite for on-demand delivery of not just food, but all goods, and we've taken a major step to address this enormous opportunity. Our acquisition of Corner Shop opened up grocery delivery for Uber, where we've rapidly expanded globally. With Postmates, we bolstered our local commerce capability through their delivery-as-a-service offering that already counts Walmart, Apple, and 7-Eleven as customers. In December, deliver as a service represented 18% of Postmates orders, and we intend to scale this out further along with our Uber Direct product. Last week, we announced our agreement to acquire Drizzly, 
which will add the leading online alcohol marketplace to our portfolio. Drizzly is growing at 300% year-on-year and is already profitable on an EBITDA basis. These new initiatives will remain an investment priority going forward, and in 2021, we expect to invest 200 to 250 million pre-integration synergies to grow the business by meaningful multiples. While we leaned into growth, we also made significant progress overall on overall delivery profitability. In Q4, we had 15 countries generating over 100 million of EBITDA on just over $2.5 billion of gross booking. We remain confident that delivery will turn EBITDA profitable in 2021, although we will not hesitate to lean in during the first half of the year. While the external environment remains uncertain, I am more optimistic than ever about Uber's future. We've established the world's largest mobility platform with a leading position in every major region that we operate in. In five years, we've built the world's largest food delivery platform outside of China, which is growing substantially faster than the category, and which we're using to to expand into high potential adjacencies. These two platforms are synergistic and are powered by many common components built by the most talented tech team in the business. We're lean, we're focused, and we're operating at global scale, and we will innovate relentlessly to make consumers' lives a bit easier and to create more earnings opportunities for drivers, couriers, and our merchant partners. Uber is ready to go. Now we're going to open for more details on the numbers. Thanks, Tar. We continue to execute well against the tough operating environment for our mobility business, investing for growth and delivery while improving total company adjusted EBITDA for both year-on-year and quarter-on-quarter. During the quarter, we completed significant portfolio realignment actions, including our divestiture of ATG and acquisition of Postmates. I will now discuss key operational metrics as well as non-GAAP financial measures. All comparisons are year-over-year and on a constant currency basis unless otherwise noted. Total company gross bookings were down 4%, but up 16% quarter-over-quarter. Revenue was $3.2 billion, down 15%, but up 13% quarter over quarter. Our revenue take rate was 18.5% of gross bookings, down 221 basis points year over year, and down 62 basis points quarter over quarter, as our business mix continue to shift towards delivery. Non-GAAP cost of revenue, excluding DNA, increased to 45% and 43% of revenue, but down 177 on an absolute dollar basis, driven by lower volumes in our mobility business. Turning now to non-GAAP operating expenses, which exclude pro forma adjustments, such as stock-based compensation and restructuring charges, operations and support was down $123 million year-on-year, reflecting continued leverage from headcount reduction actions taken in the second quarter. Sales and marketing decreased $209 million as a result of lower marketing and promotion spend in our mobility business. R&D was down $126 million, primarily driven by a decrease in headcount-related spend. G&A was down $80 million year-on-year and quarter-on-quarter. Our spend decreased $10 million and improved as a percentage of revenue by two percentage points from continued top-line recovery. Our Q4 2020 total company-adjusted EBITDA loss was $454 million, improving $161 million year-over-year and $171 million quarter-over-quarter. Now I'll provide additional detail on our segment. Starting with mobility, mobility gross bookings of $6.8 billion improved 15% quarter-over-quarter, but was down 47% year-on-year, 
and revenue of $1.5 billion improved 8% quarter over quarter, but was down 51% year over year. Revenue take rate of 21.7% declined 90 basis points year over year, with a 40 basis point impact from a one-time driver litigation settlement in Q4, and with lower take rate geographies such as LATAM recovering faster than expected. Despite a significant headwind to our top-line performance, mobility-adjusted EBITDA was $293 million, or a 20% of mobility revenue, improving $48 million quarter over quarter. Now on to delivery. We've seen continued tailwinds related to stay-at-home orders driving delivery gross bookings to $10.1 billion, up 128%. We consolidated Postmates in December, which contributed eight points to year-on-year growth. Delivery revenue of $1.4 billion, up 220%, significantly outpacing gross bookings growth. Delivery revenue take rate was 13.5%, up 391 basis points year-on-year, and up 21 basis points quarter-on-quarter. The year-over-year expansion was driven by higher basket sizes, improved network efficiencies, and an increase in subscription revenue from each pass. Additionally, we realized a 100 basis point benefit year-on-year from business model changes in some countries that reclassify certain payments and incentives as cost of revenue. Delivery adjusted EBITDA was a loss of $145 million, or negative 10.7% of revenue. That represents a $38 million, or 5.4 percentage point quarter-over-quarter improvement, respectively. Now on to freight, which grew revenue 43% year-on-year to $313 million, and adjusted EBITDA loss was $41 million. Freight EBITDA margin improved 12 percentage points quarter-over-quarter and year-on-year. Market rates remained elevated in Q4, putting constrained pressure on both industry margins and shippers' supply chains. In this challenging environment, we've seen strong adoption of our digital offerings like API bookloads and Uber Freight Enterprise. Technology enables to provide shippers real-time and transparent access to carriers, and as a result, we saw a 45% quarter-on-quarter increase in active user bases of these products. Additionally, Freight's technology now provides for automated visibility into nearly 80% of loads moved, resulting in better service at lower operating costs. We feel good about the progress the freight business is making, and we are encouraged by the numerous awards the team has won for service and technology from both industry pundits and our larger shippers. On to ATG and other technology programs, the adjusted EBITDA loss for the quarter was $72 million. As a reminder, we divested ATG and Uber Elevate during the quarter with both transactions closing in January. Our Q4 2020 corporate G&A and platform R&D of $489 million, which represents the G&A and R&D not allocated to one of our segments, improved 24% year-on-year and slightly improved quarter-over-quarter on an absolute basis. As a percentage of total revenue, corporate G&A and platform R&D improved three percentage points quarter-over-quarter as we saw fixed-cost leverage. In terms of liquidity, we ended the quarter with approximately $6.8 billion of unrestricted cash, cash equivalents, and short-term investments, and have access to over $2 billion from our revolver, providing us with ample liquidity to manage through the recovery ahead. Based on January trends, I'll provide a few comments around our expectations for Q1 performance. In January, mobility growth bookings were at a $25 billion annualized run rate, down 47% year-on-year on a constant currency basis, we're down 49% on a reported basis. COVID case loads remain elevated with associated movement restrictions in many of our largest markets 
including the U.S., the U.K., Canada, and France. We are targeting an ability to take rate relatively flat quarter on the quarter, consistent with normal seasonality, although market mix based on COVID cases may impact take rate positively or negatively. Turning to delivery will provide some color around quarter over quarter EBITDA progression expectations. Given the continued influx of new consumers to the category, particularly in markets like Europe, we are continuing to lean into delivery opportunities, including with incremental brand marketing spend, customer acquisition spend, as well as investments in our growing grocery and other new verticals. In Q4, incremental spend for grocery Postmates is offset by one-off benefits. During Q1, we expect an incremental investment of roughly 40 to 50 million towards Postmates, groceries, and other new verticals. For Postmates in particular, we expect to narrow the losses as we move through integration and remain on track to delivering the 200 plus million at run rate synergy goals we disclosed last year. As we progress throughout the year, the delivery EBITDA should improve significantly, and we remain confident in achieving break-even at some point in 2021. Putting it all together, we expect total company gross bookings to return to year-on-year growth in Q1, despite the current COVID impacts in mobility, as delivery continues to drive strong growth. Based on current mobility gross booking levels and anticipated delivery investments, we expect Q Uber's Q1 adjusted EBITDA to be flat or down quarter over quarter before we start seeing meaningful improvement throughout the rest of the year. We are pleased with the progress we've made in the last year. Uber is now on a stronger footing with a strong liquidity position of nearly $7 billion in cash. And while the bulk of our portfolio rationals actions are behind us, we will continue to focus on activities that drive value to our shareholders, including monetizing our equity stakes, as we have done recently with a small portion of our DD stake, and executing strategic transactions such as Drizzly. We remain on track to turning EBITDA profitable in 2021, and we are confident that Uber can deliver sustained, strong top-line growth as we move past this pandemic. And with that, we'll open it up for questions. As a reminder, to ask a question, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. To withdraw your question, please press the pound or hash key. Please stand by while we compile the Q&A roster. Your first question comes from the line of Justin Post with Bank of America. Your line is open. Great. I hope you can hear me okay. I'm actually in an Uber. I got stuck. A um, couple questions. I guess first. Justin, you can you ask talk- questions from an Uber anytime. <laughs> uh, it sounds like, you know, some of your, more of your markets have turned profitable for delivery. So I'm guessing what, what is enabling that? Is it scale? Are you finding operational efficiencies? And are any markets at your long-term target? And then I guess a second question, just how are trends in the U.S.? Obviously, you're going to be compared to your uh, public comps. Just how how are you doing on delivery and uh, rides in the U.S. uh, market share-wise? Thanks. Yeah, sure. Um, I think it's basically on delivery. The general business is scaling uh, as as we bring more restaurants onto the platform, as we bring more eaters onto the platform, more couriers onto the platform. Essentially, we get to drive network density. Um, as the network gets more dense, essentially a courier has uh, less, uh, less miles to cover for the average delivery. And our algorithms are getting smarter in terms of routing, in terms of wait time with restaurants and optimizing you know, every, uh, every last percentage in order to drive uh, cost per transaction efficiency, which then helps our net revenue, 
um, and also really helps career earnings because they are being productive a higher percentage of the time uh, that they are on, uh, on network. Um, that, in addition to just the business scaling up, right, if you're tripling revenue, um, I can tell you that we're certainly not tripling uh, headcounts or tripling overheads, so you just have revenue synergy, which is uh, pretty beneficial. Uh, and we continue also to benefit from basket size increases uh, and, you know, as basket size increase, the cost of the delivery stays the same, and, again, that accrues to margin as well. So I would say there's not a single element that is responsible for the improvement in margins, but it's many elements coming together, and, frankly, it's the team and the technology focused on continuing to drive hyper-efficiency uh, in, in every part of the business. I think the last part uh, I would I would say is that as your customer base, as your established customer base becomes a higher percentage of your overall customer base, um, you've seen us increase our membership base from a million to five million. As you get a higher percentage of members, as you get a higher percentage of customers who have been with you for a period of time, your marketing costs should come down as a percentage of bookings or revenue. We're not there yet. We're leaning in. Uh, but I think that as I look forward two, three, four years on the delivery business, there's more efficiency. But right now we're finding a lot of um, uh, a lot of new customers, and and on the marketing side, generally we are leading in uh, and also getting the additional benefit of of new eaters through our uh, through our mobile uh, mobility business. Um, as far as the uh, uh, the 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 trends versus other players in, in the U.S. You know, I say that no surprises. Obviously, uh, Lyft, who's our largest competitor, uh, released their numbers yesterday. Uh, I would say that there are there are no surprises as it relates to their numbers. They're a strong operator, and 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 I would say that generally we see our trends roughly comparable uh, to their trends. Although from the insurance side, we've been pretty consistent and executing well there, so we we, we kind of don't have these uh, surprises, so to speak. Um, as it relates to the delivery business, uh, you know, we are uh, in the U.S. Uh, growing at very significant rates, uh, triple-digit rates. We see January trends in the U.S. actually uh, improving all, over already strong trends that we saw in Q4. Um, we can't exactly tell how we're doing versus all of our competition in the U.S., uh, but we think that we're more than holding our own, and frankly, there's there's more to do there, uh, with a real focus being on improving our restaurant selection, uh, which which I think holds significant upside for us. Great, thanks, Sarah. You're welcome. Next question. Your next question comes from the line of Brian Nowak with Morgan Stanley. Your line is open. Thanks for taking my question. I have, I have two. First one, Dara, with, uh, with all the, the cost reductions and the adjustments you've made to the business throughout 2020, and now with the, the rides business kind of continuing to evolve, how do you think about sort of the long-term rides profitability now? Do you sort of remove those costs and the mix of the business continues evolving? And the second question on, on UberPass, and you can share with us about frequency or user behavior of Uber Pass members versus non-members. And then you, you mentioned sort of being more aggressive to drive that, that growth of that Uber Pass. 
Yeah, I'll, I'll start with you with that, and I'll have Nelson talk about the, um, the, the long-term P&L. <clears throat> as far as Uber Pass goes, um, listen, we are very early in the development of Pass. I mean, we really, we started leading into Pass uh, middle of last year. Uh, we built the East Pass essentially on um, on infra that uh, the, the Mainline Uber Pass team ha- had built. Uh, and as a result, you see pretty significant acceleration. I think the last time we talked to you, we had a million paid members, and we got 5 million total members uh, with that number expected to go up very significantly in 2021. Uh, while I don't want to give away competitive information, um, the frequency of past members is significantly higher than the frequency of non-past members. So going out and acquiring past members is, while it may be unprofitable in period, um, if you look at the frequency increases and apply them to some reasonable lifetime value estimates, uh, this becomes a very, very strong profit pool for us that either we can you know, pull to the bottom line or we can use to reinvest in, in other appropriate markets. Um, with that, Nelson, you want to talk on, uh, yeah. on margins? So, Brian, we, we haven't updated our, our long-term margin, um, but, again, we, we believe we'll continue to make progress towards it. And as you know, even um, given the COVID restrictions, as you heard in my prepared comments, we were at 20% in mobility in the fourth quarter. Uh, as you know, in the first quarter of last year, we were at higher, at around 30%. And so we're pretty confident our ability to do that. Uh, the incremental margins we're seeing are kind of in the mid-40s versus Q3 with us continuing to leverage against and get the efficiencies against our, our fixed cost base. And so we're, we're pretty optimistic uh, that as we get more COVID recovery, as people start moving, um, that, that, you know, it's, we think we're very bullish in terms of the profitability uh, profile for our mobility business. I think just okay. the, other, the, other, the, the other factor to add there is, you know, Nelson and I are constantly managing the business based on portfolio of kind of profits and opportunities. And while we talk about the delivery business and rightly so based on uh, the growth of that business right now, as it relates to mobility, when we look at, you know, the Germanys of the world, Japan, Argentina, new markets to get into, as we look at the opportunity to power taxi technology and hailables in general, when we think about, you know, the opportunity of shared rides when things open up, and then we look at our transit um, team, there are many, many growth opportunities in the mobility segment. So I do think that we will take some of the incremental margins that we see in mobility and reinvest in growth opportunities because we expect our mobility business to grow at very attractive rates for years and years and years. Um, and I think we're one of the few companies around that can afford to invest in those areas. And, you know, I think taxis are going to want more demand. Uh, obviously, you've heard about transit uh, needing help in terms of tech and in terms of cost effectiveness. Uh, and, and we want to help. We want to be a part of the solution. But it's also a great opportunity for us. And for last year, I... Brian, last thing, Brian, actually, one last thing is I, I would say that you've heard us talk in the past about where we need to see recovery. Uh, in the past, we talked about being, you know, 10 or 20 percent down in terms of getting towards break even. And so, obviously, we have more more room now uh, because of the actions we took. And so, again, we're, we're feeling much better about it. But as Dara said, we are going to take some of that possibility and invest back in. 
Um, so it doesn't necessarily change the, the, the full year outlook on when we're going to achieve total company profitability, but we certainly have more degrees of freedom. And so, again, Dara covered and we covered in our prepared marks um, all the actions we took last year, and so we feel very good about how we're set up uh, moving forward. Great. Thank you both. You're welcome. Next question. Your next question comes from the line of Eric Sheridan with UBS. Your line is open. Thanks so much for taking the questions. Maybe a few on the concept of what you've already seen in some of the markets with mobility that have started to improve. Curious, just maybe following up on the last answer and some of the comments you made in the prepared remarks, just what form is that taking in either stoking demand, growing or retaining the user base on the customer side as opposed to investing more heavily on the supply side and investing uh, a deepening on the supply side in the markets that have recovered and or have started the process of recovery, and how should we be thinking about that being applied more globally and what we should be watching for in terms of the form those investments might take? Thanks, guys. Sure, Eric. I think that, you know, the, the team that we have on the mobility side is, um, you know, has dealt with the significant changes in volumes in mobility in pretty incredible rate, right? Like Q2, we were able to drive segment EBITDA profitability. Um, so as the markets come back, um, one is that we're seeing both social use cases come back. So social use cases and a bunch of the markets that have come back are, are like over 100% year on year. And workday commute uses come back. The only, the only use case that hasn't come back is airport. And the teams are very closely watching the balance between supply uh, drivers who are coming onto the platform uh, and demand, which are our our riders, uh, who uh, who are also coming coming back onto the, onto the platform. And what's really exciting is that the the uh, the, the coronavirus and and everything that's happened, it's actually changed the nature of some of our riders um, using the mobility use case. So if you look at, for example, a Brazil. We are at 90-plus percent recovered in Brazil, yet 30% of our riders, who happen to be very, very high-value uh, riders, haven't even come back. So our business is already 90% back, and then 30% of high-value riders, of total riders who happen to be very high-value, they haven't even started to ride again. So we're seeing some pretty attractive signs. Uh, the team has been able to balance the marketplace pretty effectively. Uh, I do think that if I'm worried about one thing going into the second half of the year, it's are we going to have enough drivers to um, to meet the, the the demand that we're going to have in the mobility segment. Um, but I think, you know, this team has proven themselves over and over again. And as the mobility business comes back, we will look to continue to fund some of the new use cases, hailables, uh, transit, et cetera. But frankly, we've been doing that anyway because those kinds of long-term bets are, are bets that uh, we should be pushing during good or bad times. Does that answer your question, Eric? It does. Thanks for the color. And, uh, by the way, Happy New Year to the whole team. Hope everyone's up well. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Next question. Your next question comes from the line of Ross Sandler with Barclays. Your line is open. Hey, guys. Uh, a couple questions on delivery. Um, we've heard some grumblings about increased competition in the East business in, in the U.K., Japan, and Australia. So has your outlook uh, 
changed at all for those big, you know, those three big countries. Are they still on track for a break-even? And is that 40 million of incremental investment? Is that for each, or is that for these adjacencies like Corner Shop and 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 Postmates, et cetera? And then the second one is uh, Drizzly. Uh, from what we understand, this is an ad marketplace. You kind of break even on the transaction, and then you know the EBITDA is coming from the advertising side. So I guess how does that fit in? And then are there any practices that, that they're doing that could be applied to Corner Shop Eats or uh, the rest of uh, Uber. Thanks a lot. Got it. I'll, I'll let um, Nelson talk about the, the, the investment. But as far as the competitive environment goes, listen, the only environment we've known in delivery is competitive. Uh, we were relatively late to the game. There were a bunch of marketplace uh, players who had um, already been, in some cases, incumbent. Uh, and I think based on the, the results that you're seeing, we are able to make progress, grow the business, grow faster than the category, and improve margins. And I think that speaks to the power of the platform. It speaks to the fact that uh, we we have access to many, many common components as it relates to uh, our tech platform, our identity platform, risk, insurance, uh, uh, et cetera. And it speaks to the power of the Uber brand and off teams who are local and understand um, uh, a market uh, deeply. So uh, I wouldn't characterize the competitive environment as getting any better or worse. I would characterize it as continuing to be intense, uh, but it's been that way since we started. Nelson, do you want to talk through um, sure. uh, investment? So, so in terms of the investment, um, I think we said there's going to be probably an incremental of 40 to $50 million in the first quarter, and that is for Postmates groceries uh, as well as other adjacencies. Um, in terms of your question on specifically around food delivery, um, again, you've heard us talk in the past. We have a capital allocation model. We go through it every month. Um, we continue to, to lean and invest and grow. Uh, you are right. We are in very competitive marketplaces, as Dar mentioned. But we believe we're, we're winning in places like the U.K. Uh, and Japan where we're seeing, you know, high triple-digit type of growth uh, where we saw it in the quarter, and we are continuing to improve the economics. Uh, and then, obviously, there are some, some marketplaces like the Australians we called out and others that we've called out in the past in terms of uh, not just being very, very strong from a top-line perspective, um, but also being you know, very good from a margin perspective as well. And, and we can so, see, yeah. like, the, the, the number of markets that are profitable that then we can use to either reinvest or we can use to increase our overall profit profile, just the, the quantum number of markets is increasing and the dollars that those markets are contributing to the P&L are also improving. So those are good trends. But, again, it's, it's within the context of a very competitive marketplace. And with these kinds of category growth, I certainly wouldn't um, count on it getting any better. And then the only thing I would add is that I think you heard in my prepared remarks, um, we will deliver against the $200 million of synergies and Postmates the, when we announce the transaction. Uh, and so as those synergies come in, Again, it'll be less in terms of the drag as it is in the first quarter. But again, as Dar mentioned, there are there are some areas that we will continue to invest for growth. Operator, next question. Your next question comes from the line of Mark Schmolik with Bernstein. Your line is open. Uh, yes, I thanks for uh, taking my question. A couple, if I may. Um, the first, just wanted to follow up on Eric's question. One of the things you mentioned are in some of those international markets like Australia, where you know 30% of those super users haven't returned. Um, 
can, can you share a little bit of color on Sorry, who that has was, that, that that was brazil to be specific Sorry, uh, Brazil. Yeah, um, can you share a color on and who is kind of driving that demand? Is it is just other kind of returning users, or you know, any kind of cross sell that you're seeing from kind of the delivery side as a customer acquisition channel? And then second question, just you know, I think uh, you called it uh, the super app. <laughs> um, you know, and as we just kind of look ahead, any updates on the roadmap there and the timing on how you think about integrating the different pieces into that super app? Thank you. Um, in terms of the, the user base, I think that it's, uh, you know, it's increasingly become apparent that uh, Uber as a transportation platform uh, is recovering faster than other transportation offerings in most of the markets in which we operate. And I think it reflects the investments that we made in safety, um, the, the, the technology that we invest in to make sure that drivers are masked up, uh, and, and, you know, the trust that investors have, uh, uh, sorry, that riders have in, in the platforms that, that we're building. Uh, so we see our, our service come back faster than taxi. Um, in many cases, we see our, our volumes come back faster than transit. And it's because of consumer trust and it's because of investments that we're making. So we are, you know, we are seeing new customer acquisition. Um, it's a customer base that tends to be a bit more price sensitive. So generally, I would tell you that our trips are going faster than bookings. Generally, if you if, if you look at uh, many of these um, uh, many of these markets, uh, and the consumer who uh, th there's a set of consumers, you know, we're lucky enough uh, who don't need to go to work that can work remotely. That's the consumer who hasn't come back, and when that consumer comes back. We think it will it'll be an enormous tailwind because we'll have a bunch of new customers who have switched over to, from other forms of transportation, and then we'll have our loyal base coming back as well. So we think the setup is actually uh, a pretty good setup. I think one factor that has been a little bit surprising to us is that we've also seen non-urban riders come uh, come onto the platform uh, with you know, new use cases, et cetera. So in many, in, in many times we've seen core come back, we've seen kind of, uh, you know, the outer boroughs come back, but we've also seen suburbs come back as well. Uh, and again, I think it's because we're a trusted form of trans, uh, transportation. You get a lot of information uh, regarding our platform uh, and we've invested in, I think we're seeing, we're seeing the results of those investments. Uh, what was the second question again? Uh, just around the super app and the timeline and yeah. roadmap. Um, I, I don't. Again, I, I don't want to give away the roadmap. Uh, that that's competitive. But um, the the team is. I think there are two factors as it relates to the roadmap. One is that we're adding more categories, uh, and um, and as a result, you will see a super app that is more complete. Uh, and then, just as important as adding more categories, is that. We are adding, we're using uh, machine learning technology to make sure that the choices that we surface to you uh, as uh, either a rider or eater uh, are the best, most personalized choices. And as you can imagine, we have more data than anyone else in the field. We understand not only usage within mobility and within delivery, but across the two. Uh, so the combination of more choice and more personalization we think is pretty powerful. Um, and, you know, the 10% of new eaters that, uh, that I, I pointed out in Q4, 
That was with uh, the Super App being available for the first quarter in, in Android. Uh, so, like, that number is going to go up. And what we haven't really driven is delivery back to mobility in a big way. Our focus has been more mobility to delivery, but we see real potential as far as delivery to mobility or delivery to alcohol or delivery to grocery. Uh, and those are all areas that we're focused on. Uh, next question, operator. Your next question comes from the line of Doug Anmuth with J.P. Morgan. Your line is open. Great. Thanks for taking the question. Um, Dar, you may have touched on it briefly on, on Drizzly and the acquisition, um, but just wondering if you can help us understand more just the rationale kind of from a build versus buy perspective and then also a little bit more around the uh, unit economics of the business. Thanks. Yeah, I think for us, as far as build versus buy, it, it went down to um, we got to know the Drizzly team. We were super, super impressed with them. And I think that while at a high level it's easy to say, well, this is delivery of all things, and it's delivery of food or delivery of grocery or, or delivery of alcohol, actually each of these verticals can be quite idiosyncratic. And it is hard when you have a generalized platform to go in really, really deep as far as, for example, how do you search for products? So uh, as, a, you know, as, as one small example, uh, people who come to uh, the Uber Eats app tend to search restaurant first, merchant first, and then product. Uh, people who come to Drizzly tend to search product first and then merchant. You know, what are you looking for? Do you want, you know, IPA? Uh, the, the, they go product first. Then the Drizzly team is able to identify the merchants who are able to fulfill that product based on a combination of speed and price, and then you dig, and then you go merchant second. That's just one example of how these two products that seem similar and over a period of time are going to come together. They're actually in these early iterations, and it's the details that really, really count, quite idiosyncratic, quite different. With alcohol, you've got the regulatory environment, which is different from state to state to state. As you know, we're a highly, highly regulated uh, company on a local basis, and we just saw a Jersey team who built, who built fast, who built profitably and also did it the right way. So I think putting together like a product that is first class, merchant based that is highly penetrated, and introducing them to the giant audience that we have, that's a pretty powerful combination. And you've seen it, you know, kind of executed on in other tech companies. Um, and I think we will be able to turbocharge Drizzly growth, hopefully, um, and also you know, leave that team to execute the way that they've been executing, which is at, at a very, very high level. Next one. Any, any, next. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to follow up and ask any more color just on how you think about unit economics and, and take rate uh, in the business. Yeah, so uh, this is Nelson. So um, as, you, as you might expect, um, the take rates, the basket sizes are larger versus the traditional uh, ride or even a, um, um, a food delivery. Um, and then, as Dara mentioned, it is a little bit different because it's mostly a 2P business. And so what they do is they connect local merchants. And so if you've not used the product, you should. They do a wonderful job. Uh, and then what they do is, that, you know, they're competing. And so and they're providing, in most cases, uh, the courier. If not, they do use third-party third couriers as well. And so the economics actually are quite, are quite good. Um, and as Dara mentioned earlier, um, they are profitable today. 
Um, and, you know, as you know, the, they are small, and we think that they have a huge opportunity to continue to grow. Uh, navigating through all of the various state-by-state -state liquor. So if you're in the state of Pennsylvania, you actually can't buy uh, liquor. You can only buy beer, um, and it differs by state. And so they've done a very, very good job in terms of uh, setting it up. But, again, we, we like the unique economics a lot. Uh, the basket sizes are, are, are very strong. Great. Yeah, Thank you, Bill. We also think the media opportunity there is, is pretty interesting as it is in the, in the delivery space generally. Okay, next question, operator. Your next question comes from the line of Lloyd Walmsley with Deutsche Bank. Your line is open. Uh, thanks, guys. I have two questions if I can. Uh, just first, can you just talk a little bit more about your strategy for passing along the kind of Prop 22 costs? Are you passing the entire amount along to customers? keeping it in California, what are you seeing kind of competitors do and, and, and customers react? And then the second one, you know, can you talk about Uber Direct? You know, how big of a priority is that for this year? And, you know, besides maybe grocery, what are some of the focus areas in terms of your partnerships and anything you can share on kind of uh, unit economics for that would be, would be helpful? Thanks. Okay, so I'll, I'll cover Prop 22. So, first of all, we believe Prop 22 was the right outcome for drivers and riders in Uber. Uh, and the price increases are manageable when compared to the 100-plus uh, increases associated with traditional employment that we would have seen us exit most markets in California, and not just us, but, but our, our other competitors as well. So for mobility, we've increased prices to account for most of the new costs, although we've absorbed a small amount ourselves. And for delivery, the cost impacts are larger than mobility. And while the price increases have accounted for a majority of the cost, uh, cost to the customer, but we have seen slightly bigger impact on mobility. Um, so I guess the short answer is we, we have seen some costs. We do think it's right. Uh, we've passed a fair amount on the consumers, but we've also absorbed a fair, um, some ourselves. And then on Uber Direct, um, as we mentioned, the direct business is about 18% of, um, of, of Postmates business in, in Q4. Uh, it's a much, much smaller percentage of Uber's overall business. And our focus on the enterprise has mostly been uh, as it relates to uh, U4B and now Eats for Business, where we've seen incredible enterprise growth. But it's, you know, Bank of America, for example, using um, uh, Eats, Eats for Business. So this is actually a, you know, I would consider it a relatively greenfield opportunity for Uber. Um, we have... Uh, we focused on initially kind of a consumer to co consumer package delivery through Uber Connect, which has been very uh, interesting. But the enterprise business is one where, frankly, we're going to take the lead from the Postmates team, who has built out those capabilities, already has merchant relationships with Apple, with Walmart, uh, and many others. And with our scale and our geographic footprint, which is broader, we think we can scale that business out. Uh, quite attractively. The unit economics of the business that we've seen with Postmates are encouraging, uh, and uh, we think that it will be additive business at margins that are generally comparable uh, on a bottom line basis uh, because you're not going to get kind of revenue, uh, net revenue margins um, that are the same as, as a marketplace business. But from a bottom line kind of um, variable contribution margin basis, we think the unit economics are going to be roughly comparable. But it's a, it's a pretty cool, promising business, and we're looking forward to the Postmates team uh, and building on their efforts. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. Next question, operator. 
Your next question comes from the line of Jason Helfstein with Oppenheimer. Your line is open. Um, thanks. Two questions. Nelson, can you unpack maybe the quarter-to-quarter -quarter decline in the mobility or the decline in the me, mobility take rate? Um, and then maybe comment a bit how we should think about it in the first quarter. And then, Dara, I mean, we're all kind of working through our TAM models. Um, it just maybe how are you thinking about ramping grocery versus convenience versus pharmacy versus alcohol? And just how do you think about U.S. versus international? Because I think the business is kind of right now a different unit economics by geography. Thanks. So the, the, the big driver of the take rate change for mobility is really just mixed. Uh, you heard Dara talk earlier about the fact that Brazil is almost 80%, not 80, 85%, 90% of where it was uh, pre-crisis. And so uh, Brazil, which, as you know, is one of our larger uh, marketplaces, has come back a lot faster than a place like the U.S. and parts of uh, Western Europe. And so it's really just mixture related. I think you heard uh, in my prepared comments on, on the call, uh, we expect take rates to be largely flattish in the first quarter, but again, there could be some variability based on mix shift. Um, and as we see more recovery in some of the markets like the U.S. or like parts of Western uh, Europe, uh, you should see, you, you know, the mix shift benefit um, as that happens. And then as far as the adjacencies and, and how we think about the adjacencies, obviously Corner Shop has been a, um, uh, a part of our business for longer uh, uh, for a bit of time uh, now. Uh, it's a team that, again, has, has really built that business quite effectively with a relatively small amount of capital. Uh, so they have built a, a pretty efficient uh, cost base um, and, and a service that um, really is driving a significant amount of loyalty as, as far as their customer base goes. Uh, so, listen, I think if I were to order it, I think the grocery opportunity is very significant. Um, and when you look at the percentage of consumers who have ordered um, grocery delivery, have used grocery delivery versus, let's say, food delivery, actually grocery delivery is substantially behind in terms of adoption uh, than food uh, delivery. Uh, so we think the opportunity with grocery is significant. We don't think that the markets have been won. Um, we have, obviously, uh, the Corner Shop team has a big presence already in Latin America. Uber has a very big presence in Latin America. Uh, so the Latin markets are absolutely a priority. Um, but I think Europe and the U.S. are very high potential markets. In the U.S., I think our approach is going to be more merchant-led. Um, you know, we'll look to uh, sign of significant merchants, and obviously then we will expand in geographies that match up uh, those uh, those merchants and Europe are going to be quite opportunistic there organically through the mainline uh, Uber service. So I think grocery, we're kind of working on all fronts, but the the global scope that we have is is unique. Um, we're going to scale the shop team has already proven out the unit economics. So it's about taking attractive unit economics, scaling, and really investing and building in the merchant uh, the merchant relationships. All right. Uh, next, next question. Yes, your next question comes from the line of Yusuf Squally with Truist Securities. Your line is open. Great, thank you. Two questions, please. One is uh, actually just a follow-up. And kind of, what are the key issues that still need to be ironed out before you kind of basically uh, uh, maybe accelerate the investments there, beyond what um, what Nelson just said earlier? 
about Q1. And then on Prop 22, it's, it's now being challenged in court by some drivers in the labor union. Does that worry you, and worry you in your discussions with uh, policymakers in, in other states, I guess, especially given the, the new administration? Thanks a lot. Sure. Um, I, I think on, uh, on grocery, I'll, I'll keep it simple. Uh, we right now on the platform. Uh, and we have proven uh, with our mobility business being able to drive consumers to our delivery app um, basically for free, uh, the ability to move consumers and audience across this platform because they trust Uber, they trust our brand, we have all their information, they trust us with their payment information, they trust us with their location. Uh, so we, we've already we've already just um, on uh, on the uh, uh, Prop 22, uh, we've got Tony West, their chief legal officer, uh, on the line. I think um, Tony, are you on? Yeah. And can you uh, uh, comment on? Sure, but uh, could you just repeat the the Prop 22? I know it was driver support, but I didn't get the full question. Yeah, so I was just um, saying that it, it's basically being challenged in court. By I know at least one labor union and some drivers, and so the, is that something uh, that you know worries you? Uh, worries you at this point? And just broadly speaking, where are you in your discussions with policymakers in in, in in other states to try to use Prop 22 as a blueprint for for other geographies? So taking that last uh, question first, um, those conversations are are ongoing, and and you know we were very clear after. Prop 22 that we thought it was a, a good model, a good base from which to have conversations about how you have an independent contractor plus model, one that allows for uh, benefits in addition to the flexibility and independence that, that we know earners prefer. Um, so those conversations are, are, are ongoing uh, in various venues around the country. And with regard to the lawsuit, um, you may have seen that the California Supreme Court actually denied uh, the lawsuit, um, said it uh, was not properly uh, brought in uh, at the Supreme Court level. Uh, we expect that that lawsuit will probably show up again in some other form in a lower court, but uh, on the merits, it's not one that particularly concerns us. All right. Thank you. Operator, let's take the last question. Certainly. Your last question comes from John Blackledge with Callan. Your line is open. Great. Uh, thanks. Uh, two questions. First, on mobility, could you just discuss views uh, on the business recovery over the next two years, maybe parsing out commuting versus business slash airport travel? And then on delivery, uh, how do you view the long-term profit uh, profile for the new verticals relative to each uh, long-term uh, profit profile. Thank you. Sure. I'll, I'll get started on, on uh, mobility and health, and maybe if you, you can talk about the profit profile. Listen, I, th I think as far as the mobility recovery goes, um, this year the recovery timing is going to be very much dependent on when and how cities open up. Uh, so while we can't predict quarters, we can certainly predict direction, uh, and I think we've proven out in big markets like Brazil and Australia, which is as these markets open up, the business comes back, 
um, and and it will, you know, start growing again. You know, this is a business that has grown for many, many years. It's it's fundamentally a better way of of moving. And I think what's really encouraging is that we are seeing a new customer base come onto our platform during these very difficult times. Uh, and when you combine that with a customer base who is going to start going to work again, who's going to start going out again, you know, our loyal customer base historically, I think you're going to have a very strong growth profile. So there's no doubt in my mind that, that as we go to look at next year, 2022 or 2023, our mobility business will um, grow at substantial double-digit rates. Uh, and I believe that we will we will take share from other modes of mobility because we have demonstrated, you know, the safety of the platform, the efficacy of the platform, uh, the ease of use, the dependableness, um, and, and the affordability of, of the platform as well. So I'm very, very optimistic as it relates to mobility trends. What I'm even more optimistic about are the investments that we're making in other modes of transport and helping the transit uh, agencies of the world uh, recover and rebound, of uh, powering taxis with our routing, our hail, e-hail technology, our pricing technology, et cetera. These, I think, will be incremental positives. Uh, and putting all together, I think it adds up to essentially a platform for any kind of transport in your city um, and a unique platform in terms of a scale and global scope. Um, you know, I think that travel, uh, of internal company business travel uh, will probably come back a bit slower, so it may take a couple of years to come back. Companies have cut down on it. They're using Zoom, et cetera. Uh, so I think that will be a slow return. But I think external travel, salespeople going to visit clients. Once you've got, you know, salesperson win a client with a personal visit versus, you know, someone who just tries to win a client on Zoom, you're going to have plenty of folks traveling out uh, just like they have for years and years and years. So internal travel, business travel, maybe a little slow to recover, but external business travel we think will recover very quickly, and I think leisure travel will bounce back really quickly um, and, and significantly, not just this year, but, uh, you know, next two or three years. So we're, we're pretty optimistic. Again, we can't predict near-term timing, but when we look over a couple of years, uh, the trends are there, and I think we got a great kind of um, – investment profile as well as profit and cost profile as the business comes back. Nelson, you want to take the second question? Sure. So in terms of uh, new new uh, verticals in, in delivery, um, it's actually too early to, to comment or be too specific, um, but hopefully we'll, we've proven to be pretty disciplined in terms of how we view investment. And we've been talking about it with our investors and, with, with our, and all of you folks over the past quarters in terms of how we go through our research allocation, you've seen and you saw during the course of 2020 uh, the number of different actions we've taken, uh, including not just acquiring but also moving away from things that didn't that we didn't think made sense from a long-term profit perspective. Uh, we are going to continue to test and try a lot of different things. Uh, you probably heard Dara talk before about the fact that, um, you know, we, we really want to own the next hour. And so in doing so, we are uh, trying to figure out over the, over the course of the next few years as we move through COVID recovery, uh, what are those things that we have the right to play, and you will see us lean in. Uh, and as you know, we've announced that we're doing some um, pharmacy-type things in, in, in the place like New York. Uh, you've already talked a little bit about uh, Drizzly on the call. You've heard us talk a little about corner shop and grocery. So we think there are a, a number of different verticals that you're going to see us continue to build on. And it's all about building and bringing in 
uh, more people into the community. And so you, you, know, you, you hear about how many people and active users we have. And so we will continue to build on it. We will be disciplined in terms of the economics. You heard on Drizzly, one of the things we really like is just the basket sizes. And you've heard us talk in the past about the way you drive margin is you get, you get scale, you have, you have uh, economies, uh, you get good basket sizes, and you can generate margins. And so we'll continue to do that. I mean, just the, just the only thing, thing to add is, like, I think that it's pretty simple in that our customer acquisition costs will structurally be lower um, all things being equal, than our competitors' customer acquisition costs. And in these early markets, uh, because all of these markets in, are in very, very early adoption, customer acquisition costs tend to be very significant as a percentage of, let's say, economics. What I'm really excited about with our membership program now, it's 5 million members strong, is that our membership program just becomes more and more powerful. We'll be the only membership program that is, uh, providing discounts on food, providing discounts on rides, provide, you know, free, free grocery delivery, free alcohol delivery, et cetera. We will have the deepest and most meaningful uh, local membership, high-frequency high local membership model. And what that will result in is not only a structural advantage in terms of customer acquisition costs, but also hopefully an advantage in terms of customer retention and lifetime value. And then underneath all of that, we built the payments ecosystem. We built the identity ecosystem. We have teams on the ground in every single one of these cities. So our overhead costs and our operational costs should actually be more efficient than any of the other players. So, like, better CAC, better LTV, more attractive, uh, uh, more attractive margin, uh, uh, margin profile, you put that together and you have the makings of, you know, we did it in mobility. We did it in food. We're going to do it in delivery. Thanks so much. Super helpful. You're welcome. All right. I think, Balaji, that was the last question, if I'm uh, correct. Is that right? Yes. Yes. All right. Great. Um, just, just, I did want to say a special thank you to uh, the Uber teams. You know, 2020, uh, I think, has been an, uh, a super difficult uh, year for the world. Um, it's been a really difficult year for us as a team, but I'm just incredibly proud of how the team stood up. Um, you know, we asked ourselves a question like, how can we help our community first? How can we help our drivers first, our couriers first? Uh, and the team really, really stepped up this year. We've got a huge amount of work ahead of us, uh, but, um, you know, you really stepped up. So thank you for that. As far as our investors go. We will uh, talk to you next quarter, and thank you for uh, for your interest, and thank you for your investment. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect.